The following conversation was recorded before the Hamas attacks, so please keep that in mind as you listen. We will continue to drop special updates in our podcast feed when necessary. Thanks again for all your prayers and support of Israel in this crucial time. I believe that we need to absolutely ensure that Iran never, ever becomes nuclear armed or anywhere close to it. Not because that's a vital interest for any other country than the United States of America, but it so happens that Israel also shares that national interest in common. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we have a special interview between Joel and presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy as they discuss Ramaswamy's opinions, his intentions, and plans if he were to win the election as president of the United States. And what values does he hold about individuality, family, and God? They also talk about why he holds certain opinions about Israel and his plans for the United States. Here's Joel and Vivek Ramaswamy. Tonight, an exclusive interview with a presidential candidate who has made a lot of news and a lot of controversy when it comes to Israel and the Middle East. His name is Vivek Ramaswamy, 38 years old, a multimillionaire who's created multiple billion-dollar companies, the youngest person ever to run for president in any of the major political parties, and he is moving up significantly from zero in the polls. So he's averaging around seven and a half percent in national polls, and, and he's really drawing a lot of attention, but a lot of controversy as well. Take a look at this dust up between Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, former ambassador to the UN Nikki Haley in the recent Republican debate. First of all, the American president needs to have moral clarity. They need to know the difference between right and wrong. They need to know the difference between good and evil. When you look at the situation with Russia and Ukraine, here you have a pro-American country that was invaded by a thug. So when you want to talk about what has been given to Ukraine, less than three and a half percent of our defense budget has been given to Ukraine. If you look at the percentages per GDP, 11 of the European countries have given more than the U.S. But what's really important is go back to when China and Russia held hands, shook hands before the Olympics and named themselves unlimited partners. A win for Russia is a win for China. We have to know that Ukraine is the first line of defense for us. And the problem that Vivek doesn't understand is he wants wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to let China eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't do that to friends. What you do instead is you have the backs of your friends. Ukraine is a front line of defense. Putin has said if Russia, once Russia takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. That's a world war. We're trying to prevent war. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Pergozin. When I was at the UN, the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer, and you are choosing a murderer over over a pro-American country. First of all, first of all, first of all, Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 30 it, seconds. Mr. DeSantis, you know, Nikki, I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, I'm not 
but the, the fact of the matter, Raytheon, and you know, Boeing you came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. Stage, you've been pushing this lie all week, Nikki. You want Nikki. to go and defund Israel? Just, you want to okay, let me address that. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. The false lies of a Vivek, welcome to the Rosenberg Report and TBN, the most watched Christian television network in the United States. We're so honored to have you on. Welcome. It's good to be on, Joel. How are you? I'm doing well. You have come out of nowhere. Zero in the polls. Now you're polling third, seven and a half roughly nationally, maybe better in some of the early states. Let's just start with the big picture. Why are you resonating with so many people in the United States and particularly in the Republican Party? So look, for a long time, I think the Republican Party has been running something. The left's vision of race, gender, sexuality, climate. And I've been part of that, to be honest with you. I've written about running from it. You know, I wrote Woke Inc. I wrote Nation of Victims. So I have been guilty of that sin of just running from something. But now I think it is our moment to level up. And that's what I'm doing in this campaign, to start leading us to something, to an affirmative vision of our own. So if they're talking about race, gender, sexuality, and climate, I want us talking more about the value of each individual the family, the nation, God, talking about what it means to be an American today, reviving our missing national identity at a moment where we're going through a national identity crisis. That's the real root cause of our country's failure right now. Faith, patriotism, hard work, family, all disappearing at the same time. That leaves a moral vacuum in its wake. And I think one of the things that I'm doing uniquely amongst politicians maybe it's because I'm not a politician, is that I'm offering an actual vision of what we stand for. And I think that has propelled our success in this campaign so far. I think it has. One of the uh, many interviews that I've been uh, tracking with you on was your uh, long form uh, interview with Jordan Peterson on his podcast. And I, oh, I think you guys yeah. went really in depth uh, over the summer on, on stuff. It's, I, I think your second time uh, with Jordan. It was a fascinating yeah. conversation. And one of the benefits of doing a little bit longer form than just, you know, a one minute, yeah. a two minute soundbite. And I'm glad you're on for the whole, right. uh, for our whole show. One of the things I love about you and what's cut through to me here in Jerusalem, of all places, and to one of my sons who's particularly tracking with you, he's not committing, he's just like, okay, I'm really, I'm tracking this for one of my first uh, presidential debates or or, or campaigns, is the uh, anti-woke case that you're making and how devastating that is and how incompatible it is with the classic Judeo-Christian values of the United States. Um, you're certainly your war on the deep state has caught his attention. Your tough stand on the Mexican border and that invasion of 7 million people over the last four years has caught my attention. So I'd love to talk about all those, except that I agree with you on those yep. things. So I want to, and, and I agree okay. with you, I think, on some of these things we're going to talk about, but I need clarity. And I think a lot of evangelical sure. Christians do. Let's start with your vision of a culture of life. Just start with where, how you yes. see the unborn from your value system. Unborn life is life. That's a hard truth. And I picked that up actually, that one at a relatively young age. I was 16 years old and the third year at St. X High School when I was persuaded of that and it stuck me, stuck with me ever since. It's been part of my value set and the value system we raise our two children in as well. And I say that pro-life means womb to tomb. 
One of the things that I did that I'm most proud of in my career was working on what's now an FDA approved therapy that the rest of the pharmaceutical industry had abandoned, had turned its back on, where there's just 20 kids a year born with a genetic disease, where 100% of them die by the age of three. Mm. I worked on a therapy where a majority of those kids are able to now live lives of normal duration if treated. So my pro-life philosophy starts at conception and goes all the way through finality of life as well. I think that most Americans actually share this value set in common if we start talking openly about it. One of the things that I often say to persuade friends on the other side, and I've succeeded, if I may say, in persuading some of them and bringing them along, is you take the example that Clarence Thomas raised during the Dobbs case of a pregnant woman who's walking down the street. She's assaulted. The unborn child dies as a result. You find me one person in the United States who tells me that that unborn child wasn't alive if that criminal doesn't get full liability for that death. Right. I haven't found one yet. Everyone agrees that criminal deserves liability. And so one of the things I'm doing is appealing to, I think, the basic truth of the matter to say this isn't about men's rights or women's rights. It's about human rights. And for our part, I'm okay with, in fact, I'm in favor of pro-adoption policies, pro-child care policies, even policies that attach greater sexual responsibility to men as a man, I'm willing to stand for that because we have genetic paternity tests that are 100% reliable. But this isn't about women's rights or men's rights. It's about human rights. Viewed as such, I think I can actually help be a leader in our movement to revive that culture of life in the United States. I appreciate that. So so, so clarify your position. I mean, I, I think it's clear, but I just want you to yeah. share it and explain it. So you don't sure. support, however, if I understand correctly from uh, various uh, quotes that you've given, that you don't support a federal any federal legislation on this, you know, uh, Lindsey Graham's 15-week ban or whatever. Yeah, I think why, he's wrong why about not? that. And I'll if, tell you if why. these are human well, lives. There's a, right. So there's a couple of reasons. So I am pro-life. I believe abortion is murder. That is my value system. Other people may disagree with that. That's how I view it. Amen. I'm also a strong constitutionalist. Mm-hmm. All of our murder laws are at the state level because of this thing called the 10th Amendment in the Constitution. Well, you know, there's a lot, the of, reason mur- there's a have, lot of murder laws that are actually federal. Well, I think that those are involved crossing state lines and a bunch of other jurisdictional hooks, but classic murder laws, person A kills person B, that's a state law. And so on constitutional grounds, what I have said, just to be very clear about my position is, I am open to being persuaded, any constitutional scholar, and I'm talking to many across the spectrum, I've talked to many across the spectrum, to tell me what is the jurisdictional hook in the constitution that says the federal government can regulate this. I'm more than persuaded that we need to defund Planned Parenthood, which the federal taxpayers are absolutely funding. We'll put an end to that. But in favor of a federal abortion ban, I don't yet see what part of the Constitution allows us. I reject the the Commerce Not even the 14th Amendment? So the 14th Amendment is the strongest possible case. But if you take an originalist understanding of the 14th Amendment, there was no sense in which that was included. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with Viking Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? 
There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Our verse of the day today is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Our prayer requests today are number one, pray for the upcoming elections in the United States in 2024 for president and other national offices, that people make the right decisions regarding the coming presidential elections. And secondly, pray for the United States and Israel that their relationship will be strengthened through these elections. Let's talk about a couple other major issues um, that evangelicals care very, very deeply about. Certainly Israel, but also the threat from Iran. Let's start actually with Iran. Um, How do you see um, the magnitude of the Iranian uh, nuclear threat and and terror threat? I think it's significant. And I think that we have have an Ayatollah Khamenei who has been hostile not only to Israel's continued existence, which is of course a problem, but is also hostile to the United States of America, which is my job as the U.S. president to look after as well. A lot of the long-range missile technologies they're working on, they don't need that to hit Israel. They need that to hit the United States. Right, right. And so I think this is a serious threat. So I've been very consistent on this. I believe that we need to absolutely ensure that Iran never, ever becomes nuclear armed or anywhere close to it. Not because that's a vital interest for any other country than the United States of America. But it so happens that Israel also shares that national interest in common, and which the Arab is why world we need well. to work together. Yeah. I mean, much of the Arab world. Yeah. But, but I think that among reliable partners in the Arab world, let's get real, Israel is the, Arab, is the partner in the Arab world that we can actually rely on rather than to stab us in the back. And so, you know, I think that other Arab partners are also important, but they have other ties to China, to other countries. I think that can compromise, I think, their reliability as partners for the United States. But when it comes to the U.S.-Israel relationship... That is probably one of the most important shared objectives that we care about, that we can work together to ensure that Iran never, ever, ever becomes nuclear armed with a nuclear weapon. Okay, and I just think that so, that's so you're going to resonate vital interest. For you're going to resonate with a lot of evangelical Christians as well as a lot of Americans on that. Yeah. But so how, how would you deal with it? Because as I've watched various yeah. interviews with you, including with uh, Israel Hayom, Israel's biggest newspaper the yep. other day. You actually took the military option completely off the table, the U.S. option. Actually, that's not what I, that's not accurate, uh, but I will tell you what I did, did take off the okay. table. I took U.S. troops off the table. So one of the things that's, and, and Joel, I think you probably understand this about me, and I just think it's important people understand this about me, is I'm not a traditional politician. That's true. I don't play the <laughs> political games reading from the binders handed on the talking points of how you're supposed to read. But the flip side of that is what I tell you, I think is much more authentically my own conviction. I believe in clarity over ambiguity. And I think that does ruffle some feathers. It lends itself to opposition research misquoting you, but that's okay. That's the way I do things. 
I think that's actually going to make the U.S.-Israel relationship far stronger by the end of my first term than it has ever been because I will treat it as a true friendship, not just some sort of transactional relationship. One of the things I love about Bibi is he's a straight talker. (laughs) I'm sure he and I will get along. I'm sure I'm going to have him over to the White House in a way that Biden didn't. And I'm sure I'm going to go see him in Israel as well. But that's the kind of relationship I want to have. Real, authentic. So so let me clarify. Let me just make sure you're clear, though. Yeah, I'll be happy to clarify. When you mean... I, I don't want to use men and women like what you mean boots on the ground. You don't want to invade yes. like Iraq because yes. what you left. The That's impression, exactly right. You know, I, I, I watched on video and I, I read the headline that transcript. left the impression. But uh, well, no, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. I watched the whole video of the interview and yeah. you left me with the impression. Someone who's, you know, hmm. I, I'm not going to take a position, not endorsing enough, anybody but that. that's positive towards you that you wouldn't use force. And meaning airstrikes or whatever, that is the impression you left no, that's, here yeah. in, in That's in definitely Israel. wrong. Will you use military force to stop Iran? We will not stop Israel from defending itself to the fullest capacity. And we remain supportive of Israel because they are our friend. I think it's really important that the U.S. not put our own men and women on the line in a war with Iran. This is you know, an Ayatollah in Iran that would rather Israel not exist. Let's just call that truth out for what it is. And so Israel needs to be in a strong position to defend itself. And the United States will be at Israel's back. But I think that that's a very different thing from automatically sleepwalking ourselves into war. I'm an anti-war president. And the way I'm going to do it is by deterring war, be it ending the war in Ukraine, be it deterring China. These are important elements of why I think it's important to be strong, but in a way that doesn't accidentally walk us into wars that we don't belong in. Okay, that's well, definitely, why don't you clarify that? And, and, and if that's a misimpression, then, okay. then we should it's be absolutely clear. It's important clear. to make that and you can look at what I've written. Absolutely. And you, you can look at what I've written in multiple forums as well, in writing, and it's consistent with this. I have said that we will fully defend Israel against Iran, including militarily. That's in writing in multiple forums that I've actually put out there. But I've also been clear, and I think it's important to be clear, that that doesn't mean putting boots on the ground, sending our men and women to die as they did in places like okay. Iraq. Well, that's an that actually is worse for the United States and worse for Israel. And, and Joel, I think you understand this, and I think your audience understands this as well. Most people in Israel who are in favor of the U.S.-Israel relationship, most pro-Israeli advocates in the United States have long said, and I appreciate the honesty of it, that Americans should not have boots on the ground who put themselves in harm's way to fight a war for Israel. That's always been the tenor because that allows us to be honest, to say we should go to the fullest extent of supporting Israel outside of that boundary. There is though another statement that you're making that causes people to think, all right, he's really not willing if, if we get to the last possible moment and nothing else will work to stop Iran from getting the bomb. There is though another statement that you're making that causes people to think, all right, he's really not willing if, if we get to the last possible moment and nothing else will work to stop Iran from getting the bomb. Because you're, you're saying everywhere, the only war that I would set into motion is against the deep state, the administrative state, which, by the way, God bless you for that. But when you say that in the combination with maybe lack of clarity, the, the risk is, look, the United States with our technology uh, and, and, and weaponry could do in, I don't, you know, I don't know, days, weeks, maybe a month far more damage to that nuclear program, right, than, than Israel. Uh, so 
Yes, yeah, so I've been you very look clear. Like, that you the, sound the, like you're taking that off the table. And you've also mentioned. No, I'm not. Part of yeah, a, a but broader disengagement. You, you talked about a broader disengagement strategy from the Middle East. So those are reasons why we're trying to get clarity on where you're really sure. coming from. Yeah, and I, and I like long form settings, and I've been clear, and I'll continue to be clear about exactly where I'm. These are great discussions, Joel. So I think the top objective in year one, as it relates to Middle Eastern policy, is to consummate Abraham Accords 2.0. I think that was one of the signature achievements of the Trump administration. I think one of the most anti-Semitic elements of Western foreign policy has been to hold Israel hostage over the Palestinian question, when in fact that has held Israel back unnecessarily, integrating Israel back into the security and economic infrastructure. But in reality, those are the less important of the nations that are part of the pact right now. It was a great first step. We need to diplomatically lead and use levers to get Saudi Arabia and Oman and Qatar and even outside the Middle East. Let's talk about Indonesia, getting them into that pact. That takes Israel and propels Israel forward to a new level. I want to take the Trump policies towards Israel, but carry them forward to the next level. And I think I'm going to be able to do that because I bring a new generation, an authentic voice and a realist vision of foreign policy to actually accomplish that. I'm staying true to commitments that have always been woven in to the U.S.-Israel relationship, which is that we don't want U.S. boots on the ground for a variety of reasons. We don't need that. So let's talk about the the, the dust-up you had with uh, Nikki Haley, but let's set aside hers or Pence's or anybody else in what they were saying. Because I did go back and watch all of the interviews, starting with um, a a conversation you had in New Hampshire with a voter, uh, later with Russell Brand. That was a very interesting uh, and extended uh, DVD version, as it were. But you, yeah. you did say several things, and I think you clarify, but I want you to do it on the show, okay? So sure. you, yep. you, you've, you've used several phrases. One, that you hope to get to the point in 2028 where Israel doesn't need a dime or a shekel, might, we might say, uh, of, mm-hmm. uh, of American military investment. That has rattled people. So I want you to talk I about have. it. But- Absolutely. Yeah. And this is, this is a great conversation. So what I've said is, and this is one of the reasons I love Bibi, by the way, as a counterpart in Israel, is that we're never going to cut off a, just to state the obvious, let's just get the table stakes on there. And I've said this in countless forums too, Joel. We're not going to cut off our aid to Israel until Israel tells us that they are ready for it and that they actually are not only fine with it, that they're fully ready for it. We'll see when and if that day comes. I'm not going to cut off Israel in a vacuum. Well, thank you for joining us for this interview with Vivek Ramaswamy and getting to understand his thoughts and intentions as a presidential candidate in 2024. If you've found this podcast valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Are you someone who's searching for Jesus? Well, you can find him here. Do you want to talk about something else on this show? Do you have a question you want Joel to answer? Go to joshuafund.com and click on Contact Us. Your feedback is incredibly valuable as we develop this podcast. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund ministry team, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg.
What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air, they're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more.